Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation and the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Tonight we consider the exhortation of the Holy Spirit because in verse 7 the Apostle writes, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. The exhortation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit exhorts. The Holy Spirit pleads the sinners and the saints. We read in the Word of God in Jeremiah that the Lord said, I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, rising early and protesting, obey my voice. Every day, every day, rising early and pleading. And while we are continuing on in our studies in Hebrews, we are going to take an excursion tonight into the Old Testament. We're actually going to look at a psalm. That's Psalm 95 that we both heard read and which we also sung together and which the Apostle is quoting at length in this third chapter. We're going on that excursion because that's where the Apostle writing in the Holy Spirit wants us to go. He wants us to consider Psalm 95. He wants us to listen to the exhortation of the Spirit. So he brings us to Psalm 95. But before we go there, I want to tell you why he brings us there. Why he goes on the excursion, particularly to that place, that psalm. Now it's very evident as you read this epistle to the Hebrews, and we've already discovered this, that its author is very burdened and very concerned for the people of God. He's very concerned that they will be steadfast in the faith. He is burdened for them as he writes to them because he's constantly interrupting his discourse to exhort the people. He does this frequently. The epistle would be much shorter, the epistle to the Hebrews, if he didn't do this. But he keeps breaking the flow of his argument. 
He's preaching Christ. He's showing the glory of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. But he keeps breaking off to these exhortations to be steadfast in the faith and to keep listening to the voice of God. It's as if he's trembling for the Hebrews. It's as if it's not enough just to set before them the glory of Christ. He has to beg them. He has to plead with them to listen, not to be negligent. And we first meet this in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So he has this concern for them, appealing to them not to be negligent with God's word. And here again in this third chapter, from verse 7 to the end of the chapter, in fact, well into the next chapter, he gives another lengthy exhortation to steadfastness and to not harden your heart and not to be doubting and given to unbelief. He has confidence in Christ, but he doesn't have confidence in God's people. He doesn't have confidence in those who profess to follow him. And that's just typical of the Apostle Paul. To the Corinthians he said, I fear I'm afraid, he said, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so he do that to you. I'm afraid for you that you should be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ. He said, I, I fear lest when I come to you, when I visit you, I shall find you not such as I would desire to find you, but I find you with debates and envies and strife and the sins of the world. I'm afraid for you, he says. And to the Galatians, he said, I'm afraid of you, lest I've bestowed labor upon you in vain. So he's always concerned for the saints, that they'll depart, that they'll apostatize, that they'll backslide, that they'll lose out with God. You see, he's a man aware of the human heart. He knows the human heart is a tendency to decline from God. He knows it tends to backsliding. He knows his Old Testament scriptures. He knows what happened to Israel. He knows that they turn away from the Lord very often. And he's seen too much of it in his own life amongst the people of God. This backsliding... This apostasy, people leaving and going away. And so you see his doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, it doesn't make him a careless preacher. In verse 12 here he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. He knows that the people of God could have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He knows that people can be hardened because sin is so deceitful, it's so subtle, and the devil is so subtle. So he, he knows too much about the devil, and he knows too much about the human heart to be relaxed about these things. And so he's always warning the people of God, always exhorting them. And that's what we have here in, in chapter 3, verse 7 onwards. And when he begins to warn them 
I want you to notice that he begins with a scripture text. Verse 7. As the Holy Ghost saith, Today if you will hear his voice. And that scripture text he announces. And then he reads his text. And that goes down to verse 11. And that's a quotation from Psalm 95. It's five verses. It's a long text. And those are the verses that end that 95th Psalm that we sung. And after reading his text, Psalm 95, he goes on to apply it to the Hebrews. So that's what we have here. That's where the church gets its method, you know, of preaching. Text of Scripture and the applying of it to the people of God, the opening of the text and the application to their hearts. We get it from the New Testament. We get it from the writings of Paul. We get it from places like this. So he's following a biblical pattern by going to an Old Testament text and applying it in the present situation to the Hebrews. But why this psalm in particular? Psalm 95. There are scores of places he could have gone to. Why that psalm? And there are two reasons. And the first is the main reason. He's mentioned Moses and God's house. In these earlier verses that we looked at last time. That Moses was in God's house. And he was a faithful servant in God's house. And he had the people of God in the house of God at that time. That he laboured among. And he laboured for 40 years in that house. And most of it was in the wilderness. In the house of God. So that's what he's been saying about. And then the apostle has been saying... And we're God's house. We're still part, we're part of the same house. God has ever only had one house in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but now the generations have passed, and we're the ones who've come into the house now. We believers, we're God's house. So there's a parallel here, you see, between us now in the house of God and Moses and the people of God in the house at that time in the wilderness. That's why he brings it in, this psalm, because that psalm's very appropriate for this instruction. Because a 40-year wilderness and the unbelief of the people of God at that time. So we're belonging to the same house. Remember he says, we have an apostle and high priest, Jesus Christ. We have a prophet, Jesus Christ. We have an apostle, Jesus Christ. And at that time in God's house, they had a prophet, they had an apostle, Moses And they had a high priest, Aaron. But now both those offices are combined in Jesus Christ. He's our prophet priest. So there's parallels. And in those parallels, the apostle goes to Psalm 95. There's an analogy. There's a comparison between the people of God in the Old Testament in the wilderness and the people of God in the New Testament. We're pilgrims in the New Testament of God's house. And we have to keep on believing. We can't be unbelieving like the people of God in the wilderness. We can't let our hearts harden the way the people of God let their hearts harden in the wilderness during those 40 years. So that's what the apostle wants to get across. He wants to to warn us. He wants us to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ in true faith and not to be unbelieving. And so he's, he's warning us And one of the best parts of scripture to do that. He's landed upon it. Psalm 95. 
And that's why he chooses it. And the other reason is that this psalm is so well known in the early church. It's a long quotation, as we said, quite a chunk of the the psalm. And that psalm has always been important in the Christian church. It was frequently sung in the church in ancient times. And I think even in Paul's day that may have been the case. I think the solar he quoted that, that proves this. The church knows this psalm. The church is familiar with this psalm. I imagine even after this epistle was read that they would sing that psalm to apply it more to their hearts so that they won't forget the message as we did tonight. There are some parts of the Christian tradition where this psalm is sung daily, every day. And you know why they get it that way? Because of the importance in the Hebrews, but because also of that word today. Today, if you hear his voice. And that's one of the main words in that psalm. And so the Christian church thought, we need to sing this every day. Because every day we're hearing the voice of God. Every day the Lord is speaking to us. And every day we need to listen to the Lord. That we can't be unbelieving. We can't be unfaithful. Today. And so every day they they would sing it. The Christian church would sing it. So this is a tradition in the Christian church. To be familiar with this psalm. Because it needs to be hammered into our heart every day. Do you see how Paul announces his text? What does he say there in verse 7? The Holy Ghost saith today. That's his first word, today. But who's speaking? It's the Holy Spirit speaking. It's God's word. Now Psalm 95 was written for, by David. We know that because he later on says speaking in David. But it's the Holy Ghost speaking in and through David. And this is the Apostle's conviction. What is the Bible? What are the scriptures? The voice of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost saying. The Holy Spirit speaking. It's God's voice. It's God's utterance. That's why we have to listen to it every day. The apostle says this because he doesn't want us to be complacent with the scriptures. He doesn't want us to think that the scriptures can be criticized and we can twist and turn them any way we want. That we can be casual towards the Bible. That we can even be critical of the scriptures. No, we can't. The Bible is God speaking. The Bible is the Holy Spirit's voice. In Psalm 95 in particular, Paul is saying this because he wants us to listen. He's going on to exhort later on in his own words. But first of all, he wants to set before us the very exhortation of the Holy Spirit himself at the end of that Psalm 95. And we would like you to turn to it and, and to have it before you as we speak the rest of the message tonight. Maybe you say, well, why do we have to do that? I mean, he's written it down here in Hebrews chapter 3. Why do we have to turn to the psalm? Well, that's true. He has written it, but he's only written part of it. He's only written the end of the psalm. And the whole psalm needs to be kept in context. And so that's, that's why we're, we're turning to it. You see, the Hebrews then knew Psalm 95. But we don't know it as well as them, you see. I don't think we're as familiar with the word of God as the early Christian church. They knew the psalm. As I said, they probably sung it every day. But we don't. And we are not aware of it just the same. 
And if you turn to that psalm, you'll find that it's divided into two parts. Verses 1 to 7. And then verse 7, the end of verse 7, to the end. And it's the second part in its totality that Paul quotes in Hebrews chapter 3. And that's really unusual. Sometimes he just gives a line or two or a verse or two. But here he takes a whole chunk, the whole second half of the psalm. Because he really wants us to listen to the words of the Holy Spirit. We can't rush by them. We can't jump over them. We have to pause. We have to consider. So two parts. The first part is not unconnected with the second part. The first part is making melody to God. And the second part is admonition from God to us. A solemn warning in the second part to hear God's voice and not to harden your heart. So the second part is exhortation. And the important thing is, it's God's exhortation. Because the pronoun changes. It's God speaking. He says there, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved. It's God speaking in the psalm. Now, the verses, the first part, it's the people of God speaking. Oh, come let us worship the Lord. He's a rock of our salvation. They're making melody to God. But then in the second part, God is appealing to them. He's exhorting them. He's pleading with them, the people of God. So that's, that's the way this psalm is divided. And Paul is bringing the exhortation part to the Christian church. You see, it's exhortation to the house. Some people say, well, why do we sing the Psalms? That's just the Old Testament church. You know, there's some churches that don't even have Psalms. And they never sing Psalms. And they're just saying that that means, you know, the Psalms aren't for us. That's for the Jews. That's for the Old Testament. We sing gospel hymns now. Well, we shouldn't sing only gospel hymns now. Because we're in the same house. And God never threw the, the Psalm book out of the house. The psalm book is still in the house. And Paul still quotes the psalm book. And the people of God still sing the psalm book. And Psalm 95 in particular. You remember he's been talking about God's house for God's house. Here's a psalm in the library of God's house. We still have it. God's still speaking to us in the house. He's speaking to us today as much as he spoke to the children of Israel in, in the wilderness. As much as he spoke, spoke to the Hebrews in David's time. And in Solomon's time. And down through all those years of Israel's history. It's the same God speaking to his people. And so the Psalms are not foreign to God's house. They're songs of God's Zion in every generation. And it has to be pointed out that God is praised in verses 1 to 7. And he's praised because this is a God you can trust. This is a God you can believe in. This is a God you should never doubt. This is a God you couldn't possibly harden your heart to. He's such a great God. We make melody to this great God. This is what the, the psalm is saying. He doesn't deserve our unbelief. He doesn't deserve deaf ears. He doesn't deserve hardened hearts and 
disobedience. He doesn't deserve being departed from. He's a God that deserves to be listened to. He's a God that deserves to be believed. He's a God that deserves to be obeyed by his people. And so this is why it commences this psalm. And the God over the house is his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our merciful and faithful high priest. And he's a God of grace, a God of abundance, a God worthy of praise. Do you see how it begins there? Oh, come, let us. We're who in the house. Let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. To who? To the rock. He's the rock. Remember the rock in the wilderness? He's our rock. The rock of our salvation. Upon this rock I'll build my house. I'll build my church. He's the rock of the church. He's the rock of the house. This is why Paul is picking this psalm. He's the rock of salvation. That salvation we shouldn't neglect. That salvation that we find in his house. He's the very rock on which we're built. The rock of our salvation. So let's come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. And then he adds, For the Lord is a great God. He's a mighty God. He's a great king above all other gods. And then he tells us some of the things about this great God. And notice the first one. And it's first for a very important reason. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. That's where he begins. In the caverns below, the deep places of the earth are in his hands. He's a creator. The strength of the hills is his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. He's the mighty creator. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, our creator, our saviour, for he is our God and we are the sheep of his hand. There's two mentions of his hand. One place where his hand is is the deep places of the earth. And in his other hand he has his sheep. His hand in the deep places for his sheep. Providing from the deep places for the sheep of his hand That's our saviour. That's our redeemer. And by the deep places here is meant the the subterranean places of the earth where the oceans lie, where the waters are concealed from view, where they're not seen. Because you know there are oceans underneath underneath us. There are fountains of the great deep below and they're in his hand. This rock of our salvation, they're in his hand. And he has them in his hand. And he has them in his hand for his sheep. When they go through the wilderness. When they go through the barren times. When they go through where there doesn't seem to be any water. Where there's only dryness and barrenness and famine. But he has his hand in the deep places. Where the waters are. Where he can bring them forth for us. His sheep. And which he did in the wilderness. For the rock was smitten. And from the subterranean places below came 
the waters of his hand for his people. Now that's why he picks this psalm. It's very important. There are oceans in the earth and they're in the hands of the Lord, the great deep. And also, it is not so noticeable in our New Testament reading, nor even in our English Old Testament reading, but you will have observed it in the singing of the psalm. What did we sing when we sung the psalm? Whenever we sung together there, verse 8, what does the psalm book in our psalter say? Harden not your hearts, as in the wilderness of old, when Meribah and Massa did trial and strife behold. Now these are two very important words, Meribah and Massa. Those are the Hebrew words. And, and those Hebrew words, they, they mean provocation. The provocation in the wilderness. And they also mean the temptation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness. Meribah Amasa. Provocation and temptation. You see, they tempted God. They provoked God. We're thirsty. There's no water here. We might as well have died in Egypt. Why have you brought us up here, Moses, to die? And they murmur and they chide with Moses. And they say, you're going to kill us here with thirst. They don't ask God. They don't trust in the Lord for the water. They just moan and groan and complain. And they don't believe that there's any water. And they believe they're going to die and perish in the wilderness. They have no faith. And this is why the apostle has chosen this, this psalm. He's, he's connecting Exodus 17, Psalm 95, Meribah and Massa. The reference is to Exodus 17, where they tempted God in the wilderness. You read there, the children of Israel, they made their journey, they pitched in Rephidim, there was no water to drink, they chided. it. What does it say there in verse 7? He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Because of the chiding of the children of Israel. And because they tempted the Lord saying. Is the Lord among us or not? And so that's what the apostle is referring to. The Holy Ghost is referring to in Psalm 95. Don't, don't be like the people of God in the house of God. Whenever they were at Meribah and Massa. Because they didn't listen to my voice. They hardened their heart. They didn't trust in me the rock of salvation. They didn't trust in me as the good shepherd of the sheep who wouldn't let them perish. They didn't have faith in me. They couldn't believe in me. I had the water for them. I had my hand in the deep subterranean places below. When the rock was smitten, it will come out. And the Lord did smite the rock and it did come out. But they didn't drink by faith. The Lord just gave it to them anyway. But they had no faith. They didn't get it by faith. They didn't get it by trusting in the Lord. The Lord just gave it to them in the hardness of their hearts. Because he wouldn't have the type and the symbol ruined and destroyed by their unbelief. But they were filled with unbelief. And Paul is saying, don't you be like that. Don't you harden your heart against a gracious Savior. Don't you treat the shepherd like that. You can't trust in him. 
You can't believe in him to wash away your sins. You can't believe in him to satisfy your soul with the grace of his glorious gospel. Don't harden your heart like that. Don't be unbelieving. Don't doubt him. You see, they weren't true believers. Though they drank of the type and the symbol. But they were not believers. They had no faith. Only hardness of heart. And Paul is saying, using this psalm, and we've really only touched on it, but using this psalm, he says, don't, don't treat the Lord like that. Take heed, lest there be in any of us a heart of unbelief like that. Don't doubt the Savior. Don't doubt the rock of your salvation. Find your rest in him alone. Trust in the Lord Jesus. Believe in him. Don't have the agitation of spirit of unbelief. Don't have the murmuring spirit of unbelief and restlessness. You ought to rest in Jesus Christ. Enter into the rest in him that's in him by faith. Have peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Have peace of conscience and have rest in him because he is all that you need. What did he say? And he has these things in mind when he says it. That great day of the feast. Because they're celebrating this. The water's coming forth. And the Lord Jesus stood up and he said. The last great day of the feast. He said. If any man thirst. Let him come unto me and drink. Let him believe in me. He that believeth on me. As the scripture has said. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You'll be satisfied in me. You'll have all that you need in me. You'll have all the waters for the cleansing of your sins away in me. You'll have all the satisfaction of your heart and soul in me. If you believe in me, if you come to me, you'll find rest in me. And this is what Paul is saying. Oh, take heed, brethren. Lest there be an evil heart of unbelief. And you depart from the Saviour. You depart from this marvelous grace through your unbelief. No, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe that He's the only means of forgiveness. Believe that He's the only one who gives the rest and the satisfaction, the purifying and the sanctifying. Believe that He alone gives these things to His sheep, all in Christ. All in the rock of our salvation. All in the good shepherd who gave his life for the flock. All in him. Why then would you turn from him? Why would you go back again to the, the Old Testament rites and rituals and all the symbols and ceremony and desert him? How can you turn away from such a saviour? How can you harden your heart to such a lord? How can you continue in the restlessness of sin? So don't doubt him. Don't harden your heart against him. But trust him. And come to him. And believe on him. And if you do murmur and complain. Do it to him. In humbleness of heart. Your saviour. Jesus Christ.
So you see why the Holy Spirit says, Today. Do it today. Don't delay this matter. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today. And harden not your heart against him. Don't delay. But truly believe and trust in your Redeemer. And to him be endless praise and all glory. Amen.